Hello and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Parth Upadye. Parth, how are you? Man, doing well. You know, we got to cover our first, you know, first game of the season for Penn State uh, against Indiana and Bloomington uh, over the weekend. So, uh, got back from that trip on Sunday, uh, got some rest, and, you know, I'm ready to attack this week of coverage. You know, a big game coming up for the New Lions on Saturday. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think you and I are probably doing better than most Penn State fans are, uh, <laughs> given that, you know, we just cover the team and don't have the allegiance there. I, I would venture to guess most Penn State fans are still hurting, what are we now, four or five days after the game. But, but yeah, that, that – Oh, my God. You wait that long for your team to come back, you know, whatever that team may be. you got these high expectations – uh, college football playoff aspirations, and then you see that happen the way it happened, the way things unfolded, that, that's got to be heartbreaking. That's, I think that's the most brutal part of this. It's not just like, oh, it's a season opener that you lost when you expect to make the college football playoff. It's that football was delayed, and then it was canceled, and then it was brought back, and now all of a sudden – that's what happens. I mean, that's brutal. There's no way around it. That's just brutal. And and just to refresh our listeners, which I'm sure they will not be forgetting this anytime soon. Penn State lost, obviously, Saturday to Indiana in Bloomington, 36 to 35, on a very, very controversial call by the officials, you know, on a two-point conversion where it appears that the Man. ball is short. Uh, but they, they, they had to leave it as standing. I understand why they had to say it stood because you know, it wasn't conclusive. <laughs> you look at that play from certain angles and you, you kind of see what these Penn State fans are talking about. You know, initially when I saw it, just seeing it in live action, it, it looked like it was good to me. And I feel like a lot of people in the press box weren't saying that. They were saying otherwise. But <clears throat> I don't know, just the way I saw it, it, it looked good. You know, you look at it from different angles and, and maybe not so much. So. Yeah, I think you can pick the photo to sort of tell the story you want to on that one. Uh, one, of course, being from our, our uh, incredible photographer, Abigail Dry. Uh, she, Abby is is awesome at what she does. She's in the perfect position. And got, uh, a picture blew up on Twitter and everything from it. But shows like, it looks like to me the ball is touching out of bounds before the tip crosses over the, the goal line. I don't know. I'm not an official. I'm not there to make the call. But at the end of the day, Penn State didn't really – yes, they lost that game because of that call, but they didn't really lose that game because of that call. Penn State lost that game for a myriad of reasons that we're going to get into here. Uh, I mean, honestly, there's a list of like 15 we could go go to first. Arthur, what do you want to – what do you sort of want to pile on first here as the, the – what stuck to you, stuck out to you was the main reason they lost this game. Yeah, so I don't think Penn State played bad, right? And that might be a controversial opinion of some sort, you know, among the fan base or among our readers, whatever it may be. I think they just shot themselves in the foot repeatedly. You know, you look at the you look at the stats, and uh, Penn State had nearly 500 yards of total offense. Indiana had 211. Uh, Penn State had the ball for over 40 minutes. Indiana had the ball for less than 20 minutes. It just doesn't add up on paper if somebody were to read me the stat sheet and ask me to predict the score I'd, I'd probably say Penn State by at least two touchdowns if not more but you know Sean Clifford he, he came out and, and didn't really didn't play fantastically and I'm sure he'd say the same thing about his performance and they I guess they, they found a groove too little too late I think yeah no I, I'm with you it, it's strange you're right in that they didn't play poorly like everything indicates if you like you said if you look at that box score that's a that's a two score win and it's probably a two score win that they they have in hand pretty early um it's just that the the mistakes were crucial you know they weren't little mistakes they were at the worst time they were they were mistakes that cost them points they weren't mistakes in the middle of the field like indiana made on occasion yeah no they they cost them like they cost them when first off the first thing that comes to mind is the field goal uh 
when right before the half. It's one of those, like, that short of a field goal is a foregone conclusion. Just a little anecdote. I was sitting watching the game remotely. I didn't even watch it. Like, I had just sort of assumed it was going in, and I, I heard the thud, and I looked up and realized he missed it because I was – I mean, I think like a lot of people, I assumed it was going in. Like, Jake Penninger was automatic on those last year. <laughs> no, I'll be honest. Uh, obviously, Penninger was 11 of 12 last year, only missed one field goal. So, you think it's automatic at that point. Just, <laughs> just the way Penn State had played – to that point in the second quarter, I think it just it wasn't their afternoon, you know. And I, I it was I putrid because you know I thought there was a chance it could clink off the left iron, and it, and it did. Yeah, no, it was it was not. I mean, it, it was sort of bad all the way to it was never going in. Uh, it was a a brutal field goal attempt from Pinnaker, and then but like the it, it's so weird. Like you said, they played well that first drive of the game. They looked like they were going to roll through Indiana. They marched down the field. Uh, Pat uh, Fryermuth scores the touchdown. Uh, Kirk Sharaka with the awesome play call there. Two plays prior, they'd called Brenton Strange in motion to come across the field to run the ball uh, with with Devin Ford to uh, try and score from the one or the two wherever it was. And on the fourth down play, uh, which by the way, kudos to James Franklin and Kirk Sharaga for going for it on fourth down. That is the smart play every single time. Uh, fourth and that short, that close, you go for it. Uh, but but sort of calling the same motion with Brenton Strange and and having him stop the motion. They snap the ball. Frymuth leaks out before Indiana knows what's going on, and they've got the the easy touchdown that's wide open. But like that's the only easy throw Sean Clifford hit all day. Like he was missing on balls that he should make on throws he should make routinely. He wasn't giving his guys a chance to make plays on the ball. Uh, he was kind of taking it out of his weapons' hands at times. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you know, you and I talked before the podcast, the running was obviously a, a, a difference for Penn State in this game for Sean Clifford. Like, he was the leading rusher. I think it was seven for 119 is what he finished with. Uh, he broke a, 19 yards. Yeah, that's a, I thought it was an insane <laughs> stat line right there, you know, in terms of him on his legs. Yeah, and, and, and a couple of those were crucial times too. But then, like, he, he made too many mistakes as a passer too often. And this was a, an issue we saw with Clifford last year. He would he would feel pressure. He would see pressure, and his eyes would come down. He wouldn't be looking downfield to try and make a, a play to one of his wideouts. He would try and find space that was never going to come, and he'd have, he would either have to eat a sack or try and run for a yard or two. Uh, sometimes that works out, and he can bust it for a big one. But plenty of times against Indiana, that just turned into him having his head down, looking at linemen coming at him, trying to avoid them rather than keeping his eyes up and trying to make a play downfield. Uh, like I said, that that's an issue like – I think that's one of the things that's really discouraging about this game for, for Penn State and Penn State fans. Uh, you saw Clifford last year, and there were signs that he was going to be able to take the next step. They were correctable mistakes. Kirk Sherrock is really good with quarterbacks. Um, and and those mistakes weren't corrected. Like, they were, there was a lot of the same issues this year. Um, There's a lot of the same issues on Saturday, at least. You know, who knows what's to come. Small size, but still, I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, like it, it's not a good sign when in the first game he doesn't look any different. You know, there's still plenty of room for growth. He'll he'll have plenty of reps throughout the season to to make those improvements. Uh, but you know, it, it kind of felt like they weren't running anything overly complex uh, out there. Which I don't know if that's the case. Like I don't have access to the play sheet. I don't know what Kirk Sherrock is calling. But like you know, it felt like they were running basic things because as we saw last year, Sean Clifford can get stuck on guys. He got stuck on KJ Hamler last year. He was getting stuck on Pat Fryermuth quite frequently on Saturday. And rightfully so, Pat Fryermuth is, is awesome and is That's a fantastic tight end. You know, right. Yeah. Like, without Journey Brown, now you talk about without Noah Kane. I think Pat is the guy. Um, and we'll see how that pans out. You know, he had a he had a good year last year, you know, all Big Ten caliber year, I believe. Uh, you know, 500 plus receiving yards. But can he, can he take that? Can he take that next step? You know, we talk about Clifford, but, you know, can, can Pat 
carry this offense. And that's something um, that he, you know, he showed in spurt certainly, but can he do it throughout the course of a whatever 10 game season this year? Yeah. And, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's a tough ask for a tight end. You know, it's a really tough ask because he's just not explosive as a playmaker. And that's what makes me, you know, think Clifford's going to have to spread the ball around more. Uh, he's going to have to find Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith more, who both looked really good. Washington, as I'm sure you saw live, like made an incredible play on that ball in the end zone to come back. He cut off his route, came back to Clifford. Uh, that was, that was really like, that's, that's stuff you see from a, a redshirt senior, you know, that sort of intuition. Absolutely. Uh, it kind of, I don't want to say it caught me off guard, but just hearing Franklin, you know, talk about Parker Washington leading up to that week, super high praise, you know, for the kid. Uh, he talked about his great ball skills. He talked about him being built like a running back, but you know, being this, this, you know, great wide receiver, great ball skills. But I thought it was going to be Keandre Lambert Smith, you know, that was going to be the, the guy starting and not Parker Washington, but Parker definitely wasn't afraid of the, you know, the big moment on Saturday. Yeah. And he came up in the, what should have been the biggest moment for Penn state, you know, that, that touchdown in overtime, it's, uh, it, it's, almost inarguable that there was a bigger moment in the game that they actually took advantage of. Anyways, there were plenty that they didn't take advantage of. I would say uh, the 60-yard the, the bomb that Clifford threw, you know. I, that's I think true. That's true. To, the, the, towards the end of the game, I believe, to Jahan Dotson. That was, and, that was a big moment. I think that put – that might have been the one that put Penn State up, I believe, right? Yeah, that, that put Penn State up 21-20. to 20. I think what's, what is so baffling with Sean Clifford is that throw is – absurdly difficult to make he's running forward he, he had a clean pocket so he didn't have to move forward but he stepped he, he was basically running forward hips turned and opened up and he just lightly lays it into the bread basket for Jahan Dotson now he was wide open but so that that throw is is impossible for a lot of kids at, at his age yeah it, it was it was awesome uh you know it was one of those throws like I was sitting at home so I was just like wow like because you, it's not because you know I don't think Sean Clifford can make those throws it's because he had an all game like he was playing poorly guys sometimes underthrowing guys it just wasn't there the accuracy wasn't there and I think a a big question mark for Clifford at least um was you know kind of his deep ball and you know he he wasn't making the the non-deep passes so to speak you know so that just makes you wonder like you said has he has he taken that next step we don't know small sample size but I guess we'll find out more uh on Saturday yeah, hundred percent. And like the, you know, the, you you mentioned earlier, this this isn't all about Sean Clifford. We're not going to talk about Sean Clifford the whole time. <laughs> but you know, it's encouraging to see those signs. It's also really discouraging though to see him completely airmail a screen pass. Where I know after the game, he said, I think he said Devin Ford was covered. I've gone back and watched that play several times. Devin Ford was wide open on that screen and could have got he got could have gotten him the ball. He just sailed it and threw it right in the arms of an, of an Indiana defender. And the other one, as he said in post game, like. He just he airmailed a pass to Pat Frymuth when he had him open, uh, and and that can't happen. He, he's absolutely right when he says that you can't make those kind of mistakes. I didn't realize Pat was open on that that second pick. That you're yeah, about. yeah, no, he he had he had I wouldn't he wasn't wide open, but he had enough separation, you know, from his guy. And yeah. you know, this is at the end of the day, Pat Frymuth we're talking about. He can make those kind of plays, uh, and, and Sean clearly trusts him enough too. But you know this. Like I said, this isn't all about Clifford. I think the other big storyline for this Penn State offense is that it doesn't have Noah Kane for the season now. Uh, you know, he he's out with a foot injury. Uh, Penn State didn't didn't say what was you know what the injury was. Uh, we know we saw him walking with a boot on and crutches at the game. Uh, then James Franklin announced that he's out for the season this morning. How do you this? I mean, this running back situation continues to get worse for Penn State, and what should have been its best position on offense. How do you feel about the situation moving forward after we saw Devin Ford, Kevon Lee, and Keziah Holmes on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, Penn State's running backs room was supposed to be one of the best in the country, right? Franklin said it today. We all know it. You know, they had five guys who were very talented, you know, 
obviously Kevon Lee, Keziah Holmes hadn't played a single snap before Indiana, true freshman. But, you know, you had, you had Journey Brown, right, who was supposed to be arguably one of the, you know, top five, I'd say, running backs in the country. Yeah, that, I, say, right? Dane Brugler had him as the RB1 in the 2021 draft class. So, like, that's – Brugler's my go-to guy for draft stuff, and, you know, I won't argue with that at all. <laughs> and, you know, we talked to Journey during media days, and it was, a, it was a fair question. People were asking about, you know, how much consideration did he give leaving? And, you know, I think he could have left, and he could have still made some money, you know, come the NFL draft, even without playing the season. If he, if he had chose not to, that's just a heartbreaking story, man. He, you know, a, a guy who wa- wanted to come back and wanted to – kind of prove he could he could be you know rb1 right uh this season and then it just obviously didn't pan out for uh undisclosed medical reasons yeah and and it's always tough when you hear a kid has one you you wish him the best with his health his health obviously comes first uh they haven't said penn state hasn't said what the condition is they haven't also ruled him out entirely for the season as we've reported a source said it's you know, a source told us that it's unlikely he plays this year. You know, it's it's tough. Like, losing Journey is brutal. And then, you know, you're like, okay, we have Noah Kane. This is a good fallback plan. Uh, this is this is a guy who – You know, uh, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know – No, you're right. You're right. You're right. A, a guy, Noah Kane, who could uh, be the feature back at a lot of a lot of places. You know, a lot of uh, high-caliber programs would, would love to have Noah Kane, you know, be their, their first-string running back. And now – you know, you got a guy who maybe isn't as proven as Journey, you know, based on what Journey did at least the last five games of 2019, where you had, you know, I think almost 600 yards in five games at a, you know, 200 and 200 plus yard Cotton Bowl performance, you know, a Penn State Bowl record. Noah Kane's not a bad substitute for a, a player of that caliber, too, which says a lot about Noah. Um, and now he goes down. And then you got Devin Ford, you know, third string tailback out there. You know, aside from that mistake, obviously, you know, with whatever it was to go, I believe less than two minutes, he scores a touchdown. They could have milked the clock. They could have forced Indiana to use that last time out. Um, I I thought he played well. I thought, you know, he had 69 yards. Uh, You know, Franklin spoke on him today, uh, just saying how he stepped up as a leader, you know, as a sophomore, which is saying a lot, you know, of of just the way he carries himself, you know, as a second year running back. But we've got to see, there's there's no certainty now. You know, you've got, I don't know, you just just don't have that kind of alpha dog in that room, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, you know, I chose Devin Ford as my breakout candidate. Uh, you know, I, I thought he he has the talent. He was a four star guy, just like Noah Kane was. Now he's, you know, as we I said in our first episode we recorded a couple weeks ago, he's not exactly built for that that primary role. Like you, you want him getting spelled by guys. That's why I think Kevon Lee's emergence on Saturday was pretty important. Like he, one, the, the look without gloves is phenomenal. Like that is, that is a fantastic look on a football field. I loved every second of that, but two, he looked really good. Like he just legitimately looked good. Uh, he looked like he could take Kane's role a little bit there. He looked explosive athletically. Um, he was, he was a guy who was really highly rated, didn't play senior year of high school, um, I, I think it was some kind of transfer issue down in Florida where he transferred to a school and they declared not eligible or whatever. But yeah, I, I thought, I thought Lee impressed enough where it's like, okay, we've got sort of Noah Kane, like you've got some semblance of it or potentially. <laughs> I saw people tweeting, right? Like, so Kevon Lee, he was playing, I think that first drive of the second half a lot and he ended up with only, only 35 yards, but like you said, in spurts, he looked good. Um, just the way he runs, you know, he's kind of a bruising runner. People were, people were on Twitter talking about, uh, you know, he's doing his best Noah Kane impression. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, no, he, 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 that's exactly what he looked like. You know, that's, that's, that's who he reminded me of when he was, when he was running guys over like that. He's, he's huge. Like he's a big, strong, physical kid for being a freshman uh, and has, you know, the, like I said, he's a four-star guy. Cause I home's a four-star guy. Devin Ford's a four-star yeah. guy. These are talented kids. Uh, and, and they have the potential to, to be really good, and we'll see if they can put it together. Like you said, I thought, you know, 
three point, you know, whatever it was, 3.4 yards per carry, I think for Ford isn't ideal, but given, given the situation, given what he was running into, not expecting that kind of workload, uh, his first game handling it, I thought he played well. Um, like you said, that, that mistake is a crucial one. Uh, he's got to get down like the, at, you know, at the end of the day, got to get down. I do think there is some credence to the idea that Penn state should just be kneeing the ball there anyways. Uh, because I, there was, I think a minute 47 on the clock, Indiana had two timeouts. Uh, if they use both of those timeouts or no, they had one timeout, I think. Uh, with 147 left. Uh, and, and so you could have given them the ball back with like 15 seconds, depending, you know, when you take those kneel down snaps out of the gun, you can go back like five or six yards. You know what I mean? Like you can try and take a few yards back to get like six, seven, eight seconds off instead of two or three. So there are ways to sort of milk that down. I kind of thought there was some credence too to going for going for two there, knowing what you know about the Indiana offense, trying to put it away there and calling it. Uh, I know we're not there yet with college football coaches. But that's the that's the analytics play that is like almost eighth dimensional chess to some people. Uh, but like there, there's credence to it. Like it's not it's not a uh, an easy decision to make. It it may not even be the correct decision all the time, but it's something to consider. I think. I think uh, you take the BAT. That, that's just my I, opinion. Yeah, no, I, yeah, and I get it. We were scoring. You know, you just you, you milk the clock. Indiana has one timeout. You've got 144 on the clock. Yeah, you, you run and slide or you take a knee. You don't score, certainly. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what kind of broke down there. You know, Franklin spoke of it after the game. And he, I don't think he was exactly clear about if the message was stated to Devin. If it wasn't, we don't Yeah, know. I think the messaging from Penn State in general on that was a little bit mixed. You had different guys saying different things. And I think it looks like Devin Ford probably got caught up in the moment, started looking around, and then looked down and realized where he was at. And it was too little too late uh, to try and salvage that touchdown, salvage not scoring that touchdown, honestly. Wheels turning in his head at the six-yard line. He starts to – yeah, yeah, he starts momentum and he's doing that little tap dance move, you know. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he, the goal line. It's, it's he's realizing nobody's coming near him. Like that was his sign. He was like, oh, wait. And then he looks around, and by then he's over the line. It's too late. Indiana defensive players are signaling touchdown, which is yeah, they're, they're trying. Yeah, I know that was the funniest part of that to me, too. You see them throwing their arms up, trying to, trying to say he scored. You never see that from a defense. Uh, and, and, but I think the, you know, the, the third thing with this sort of breakdown they had was, it, and it goes back to what you said about Penn State played well. The defense was phenomenal every single drive until the last drive of the fourth quarter. They played off coverage. They allowed and, – and by the way, the, the front four was even better on that drive than they were the rest of the game. Jason Owe, Adisa Isaac. Yeah, and, and, and Shaka Tony constantly pressuring Michael Penix. The, the, one, the one play that doesn't get talked about much from that sequence is Adisa Isaac sacked Penix, and they called a face mask when he grabbed him by the shoulder pad. They showed the replay on TV. I don't know if you could see it in the stadium, but, but that was a clear – like, that was not a face mask. That was a bad call that cost Penn State a huge chunk of yardage, you know, and, and sort of an inexcusable call to make there. Like, you, that costs – like many calls for Penn yeah. State, like many decisions for Penn State on their own, that cost Penn State the game. Uh, you know, they that, that defensive line was as dominant as ever on that last drive. That's going to be a strong suit all year. When they know you're passing, they are going to get a regulation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they were as good as ever, like that that front four. The problem is the secondary played back. They got beat on by uh, uh, Penix on a couple balls where he just pinpointed them. There's nothing you can do. Uh, and then I was, you know, sitting – like I said, sitting remotely on that two-point conversion to close regulation. The second Indiana running back, Stevie Scott, motioned out of the backfield, I said, this is a draw. Like, there's no reason to motion that back out and clear the play out when your quarterback isn't a great passer other than to run that quarterback draw. And then, of course, that's what that's what Indiana did. The Penn State linebackers didn't look ready. They almost had a play on them anyways. But to me, like, 
that's a situation where you miss Micah, you miss the veteran leadership because Jan Johnson last year is seeing that draw coming and he's put, you know what I mean? He's, he's calling it out to his teammates and they're stopping it. Uh, but I, I mean, it was, it was clear as day to me as soon like, as soon as Scott's motioning out, like it's very obvious what Indiana's doing in that situation and Penn state couldn't stop it. They go to overtime and they lose the game. He talked about Michael Penix's uh, accuracy being an issue, you know, on Saturday, obviously, but you know, I guess smaller sample size, right? He got injured after six games, I believe, last season. But he was he was pretty dang accurate. You know, this guy especially was – Especially that last drive. Especially that last drive. Oh, yeah. Not against Penn State. I'm talking about uh, in 2019. You know, he was like oh, yeah, yeah. 60% accuracy, you know, and uh, through half the season. Like I said, not a full sample size there, but certainly enough to lead you to believe that, you know, that was one of his strong suits as a quarterback. But, you know, he, he scrambled and he got it done in overtime. Yeah, no, he – I mean, he was – he was – he was pretty excellent in on that last drive and in overtime. That that overtime play, I thought Daquan Hardy he had him stopped, uh, you know, well short, and then he stretches out as far as he could to yeah. get there. Like he was, like I'm sure you've seen the memes on Twitter. People have, have, <laughs> have decided to crop that onto something. T-shirts in Bloomington. Yeah, no, absolutely. As someone who used to cover uh, Indiana, I still follow, you know, a bunch of other beat writers from Indiana. And, and I saw, like, every meme that came from that game. Uh, from like he was the on this podcast. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was wild. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's like – I mean, this is going to go down as a pretty big blemish for Penn State. As, as I wrote about after the game and as, as you and I have discussed, like, this week, like, their, their margin for error is gone. You know, they, they've got to win against Ohio State if they want to make the playoff. Now, you could make the argument that that was true anyways. It might have been, but it, it, it wasn't a definite. Like, it wasn't a certainty that they had to beat Ohio State to make the playoff. They probably just had to play them close. Now they have to beat what Very might be yeah. in the country. Yeah, like this is this is the number potentially the number one team in the country coming into your place with no fans, the most talented, uh, arguably, team in the country. And you've got you've to gotta hang with them after you just shot yourself in the foot over and over again in your season opener, and they steamrolled Nebraska. After Nebraska, like, ran the ball well a little bit and then just got demolished, like – 52 I, to 17, sheesh. They were yeah. showing the game in the press box, you know, at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington before the game, so we were all kind of watching that. Um, and, yeah, they looked pretty scary. <laughs> you know, if, I, if I'm Penn State, you know, you're – like I said, we've talked about this. You know, you're down Journey Brown, you're down Noah Kane. Uh, receivers are unproven. Sure, Parker had his, you know, Parker Washington had a great moment. Sure, John Dawson had a great moment. But in a larger context, these guys are unproven, right? That, that's kind of the bottom line. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that offense looks against Ohio State. Kirk Soraka, I thought, thought he, Soraka, excuse me, he plays, plays a little bit differently. He likes to milk clock. You know, he likes to go on, go on these, you know, 15, 16 play drives. But if you're going to hold the ball for that long, you got to score. Got to score, right? <laughs> That's the bottom line. Like you can play keep away all day. You can do it with Ohio State too, but Ohio State's good enough to where takes them two plays time, in that nineteen minutes thirty eight seconds, which is what you know Indiana had the ball for. They're gonna they're gonna score thirty five or forty two on you know. Yeah, um, like it's it's. I understand what he's doing. Like the way they ran their offense against or for Minnesota last year was these grind down the clock possessions. Yeah, and then just gas you with the big play. Those big plays weren't there other than that, that Dotson you know, they just didn't have the the explosives as, as Franklin refers to them as to sort of uh, make the, make these, create these big moments and win the game. Uh, that was one of the things that they were missing on. They obviously turned the ball over way too much. Uh, they can't afford to do that against Ohio state either. Like they're, they're in a, a really, really tricky spot now. Uh, like yeah. you said, and, and like with Shiraka, it's, 
you're 100% right. You've got to score. Like, if you're going to hold the ball that long, you've got to score. And the def- Penn State's defense is good enough to hold Ohio State. There were times against Indiana, Penn State's defense looked like it, it could be one of the best in the country. Last year, big issue was, you know, John Reed was excellent in the slot, and he was good on the outside, but still got beat too much. Joey Porter Jr. looks like he might be the best cornerback on the team already. And that's with a, an excellent corner and Tariq Castro fields across from him. Yeah, yeah. Oh Joey God. Porter Jr., like, it, it's, a, it's a shame for him that they lost that game because if, if they hadn't, I think a lot of people would be talking about how incredibly well he played. Like, that is a redshirt freshman making his first career start and just, and just showing out, like, playing as, as well as he possibly could have against a pretty good Indiana offense. Now, this Saturday, he's going to be seeing uh, either Garrett Wilson, maybe Chris Olave. He took a big hit against Nebraska, and, and I, I think his status is a little uncertain right now for Ohio State. Could be Julian Fleming, who was a five-star uh, recruit, who I think a lot of people had penciled in for Penn State before he ultimately went to Ohio State. Yeah. You know, there, there are <laughs> – Yeah, that seems to be happening too often too now. Uh, but this is – you know, this is an Ohio State team with weapons. Uh, the running game wasn't as good as it usually is uh, outside of, you know, the, uh, there were a couple nice runs broken by broken by Master Teague and Trey Sermon, you know, a couple 10-plus runs, but nothing, nothing overly impressive. I think they're going to try and beat Penn State through the air. I think Joey Porter Jr. absolutely has to be a big part of this matchup. He has to be as good as he was on Saturday. So does Tariq Castro-Field. Freshman, man. You know, talk about week two, Ohio State, you know, your, your, your biggest roadblock the past what four years yeah right? and everyone knows it too they haven't beat him since and you know that's a lot of pressure on a redshirt freshman in my opinion yeah no you're you're 100 right i mean it's, it's a it's a lot of pressure but like at the end of the day it, it's also the expectation at this point like because it's their only real chance they've gotta they've gotta be able to stop the pen the ohio state passing attack excuse me they've gotta they've gotta be able to at least slow it you know and they've gotta give the offense a chance to to run the clock, uh, sort of control the game, get those big drives. And then, like, there's a world where, like, and we'll get to our predictions later in this, and I think we, we both know we're relating on this matchup, but there is there is a world where, you know, Penn State gets the ball to start the game or, or Ohio State gets it, Penn State stops them, then Penn State runs nine to ten minutes off the clock, and all of a sudden it's 7 nothing Penn State, and Ohio State is almost in the second quarter already. You know what I mean? And then, then they've sure. got to hit the explosives, and then maybe if they miss on one or two it can turn. But, like, that's a lot of ifs. Like, you're asking for a whole lot. Like, this, this Penn State team's definitely still talented enough to beat Ohio State, but if you're, if we're basing it off of week one performances, like this game won't be close. I, I, I think it's, I think it's unfair. Like you've said, it's, it's small sample size to base it strictly off that. But if they come out looking anything like that, I think this team might end up folding and calling it a season. Like there's, you know, if there's, a, if they get down 14, nothing, 21, nothing, then it's like, well, maybe yeah. we're just not good enough that, that you can't let seep into your mind. That as a college kid, it's easy to let that happen. Yeah. Week two, that's, you know, if that starts happening in week two, it's going to be a long year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, fortunately like, for them, only nine weeks this year, uh, if it does go that badly. I don't, I don't necessarily I don't think, think it will, though. Badly. I'm, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't see them missing a, you know, a bowl berth by any means, but I'm talking about, look, so you've got nine games. Let's say you lose against Ohio State, right? That's already two losses. Then Michigan becomes a coin toss, so then you lose yeah. to Michigan. So then you're talking about – you know, I still, I still think you've got the other five regular season games that you're winning. It's that, it's then that West game, like whoever they play. Now the West is bad enough too, where whoever they play in that week nine extra matchup, you know, of Big Ten championship week, that if they're like if they're five and three and they're like third or fourth in the in the Big Ten, they're probably steamrolling 
like whoever they're playing in like the Minnesota West. or whoever. Yeah. I mean, I Minnesota would probably be second, but yeah, you know. I'd say Minnesota second, probably Purdue third. Then it's like Nebraska and Iowa, and like and it's like okay, like or Illinois or you know what I mean, whoever you want to plug in yeah. there. Yeah. Then then those are matchups that they just take the win and they finish at six and a three, which is probably their floor this year, unless they slip up again, which I, I don't think will happen. I still think Michigan's a winnable game. Uh, you know, I, I, as good as oh, Michigan was against, you know, the big house, but yeah, yeah. it's, but no fans. Like it's, you know, that you take fans out of the equation and, and, you know, the big house is much less intimidating. Uh, just like yeah. Beaver stadium will be much less intimidating Saturday night though. So you got both sides of that coin for Penn state this year. Uh, and, and I do think it's a winnable game, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't feel, you know, I don't know about you, but I kind of felt like going into the Indiana game that they were probably going to beat Michigan. Now I feel like they should beat Michigan, but it's not a guarantee. And it's, it's probably closer to a coin flip than, than anyone anticipated going into the season. Right. I thought, you know, like, like we discussed already, I thought it was more about what Penn state didn't do than what Indiana did. I think that's fair to say, but there was also, you know, times where you, you look at Penn state, especially their, you know, defensive secondary and guys were getting just beat, you know, like, and you look at that happening against Indiana, then you add in, you know, you've got a, Heisman candidate quarterback you're going against Justin Fields who can create with his legs, create with his arm. I think he was 21 of 22 uh, last week against against Nebraska. 20, 20 of 21, I believe. Which, 20 with the one incompletion, by the way, was an awesome deep ball that I think Garrett Wilson just dropped. It might have been Chris Olave. One of them just dropped in the end zone. Like hit the receiver in the end zone. That's the point. So this guy, well, pretty damn accurate. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, as good as you're going to find outside of Trevor Lawrence in college football this year. Right, absolutely. He's going to be, you know, a top five pick in the draft. Uh, there's, there's that kind of talent. Um, I don't know how they're going to look. You know, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think it. I think this is sort of uh, the litmus test, which is strange to say about Ohio State. Like, like I said, if they come out and they look flat again, then this season is probably going to look flat, and they look they're going to look like a team that is folded. If they come out with a bunch of energy and they play well and they keep it close, you know, even if they lose the game, then it's like okay, this is still a reasonably six and two, seven and two team after the, the extra week, you know, and, and that's good. Like, that's a good season. Like I know everyone I predicted eight and one uh, that seems unlikely at this point. Yeah. But, well, I mean, I don't think anyone was predicting that lost Indiana though, to be fair, but I, like, I said seven and two, of course, my two losses, neither were Indiana, like, yeah, yeah. You know, Ohio state. And then I had them losing to Minnesota, you know, given the fact that Minnesota would be second in the West Penn state, second in the East, yep. uh, but not, not Indiana. No. Yeah, no. And, and Indiana's a good team. Like, that's not to discredit them, but, like, given the aspirations Penn State had, that's not a team you can lose to. Uh, no, it's not – Levels, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Indiana's an eight-win team. Penn State should have been – or, I mean, guess sorry, eight-win yeah. team in the traditional 12th season. But. Right, 100% agree with you. I think Indiana wins eight, nine the regular year. Regular year, Penn State wins 11-12. Like, yeah, like yeah. there's the, – and, and all of a sudden you, you're losing that game and now your whole season can tailspin – like yeah. I said, we'll see, though. Like I said, litmus test time. You're going to find out what, what this team is sort of made of. And I know that's a lot of cliches and a lot of, like, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the stuff, like, football coaches love to hear. But there, there's a level of truth to it. Like, you, you've got to show up this game. And if you don't, then, like, you may as well pack it in. Because if you're losing, like, I don't know, 52 to 14 to Ohio State, then your season's over before it even started. And uh, then, you know – the questions about like what's the point the rest of the year start to come into play like 
because then you are out of the playoff. If they get blown out by Ohio State, there's right. no world where they, you know, seven and two even would not be good enough. You know, they they could theoretically go seven and two and make it if if we see more chaos, which we've seen in college football this year so far. Absolutely. But like, you know, if you if it's seven and two with that being a blowout, then you may as well pack it in. Uh, and it's just it's it's probably going to go down as a pretty pretty big disappointment, I think, for Penn State fans, given where the uh, the sort of I don't want to say prognosticators were saying they should finish, but sort of the feeling of where they should finish generally. Like it didn't feel like that was a media hype thing. That was a fans believed in it. It felt like you look up and down the roster. It looked like this, the the short season could have played to their advantage. And here we are. Oh, and one. Yeah. They had a, I mean, they, they had and still have a good amount of NFL talent on the roster, but you know, obviously the losses have started to add up. You talk about Micah Parsons, you know, when, when he opted out in August, people were still high on Penn state. Sure. Um, but now you talk about Journey Brown being out of that equation. Um, a lot of uncertainties, especially on the offense, in, in my opinion, I'd say. But yeah, uh, I think the, the question marks are are there certainly, and obviously the the Indiana game didn't didn't help that. <laughs> you know, their performance there didn't help that. Yeah, and, and and like you said, the the thing that I think will be hard for a lot of Penn State fans to swallow is they didn't play terribly outside of the mistakes. Like they played really well, except the mistakes were crucial and it's tough to come back from that, but you have to spin it forward. We've, we spent a lot of time talking about Ohio state there. We may as well dive a little deeper into it, uh, get into some, some key matchups for the game, which you and I will have up uh, on, you know, on centerdaily.com Wednesday evening, but we can preview those a little bit here. So, so Parth, who, who is your, or what is your key matchup? I should say uh, uh, for this game this Saturday. You know, we talked about Penn state's D line just a few minutes ago, talking about Shaka Tony. Uh, and Jason Owe, especially Shaka late in there. I think there was one drive. Uh, I want to say it was late in the fourth quarter. I can't remember if it was the last drive in regulation or the one prior to that. But it was the last drive there in regulation. Another one you're talking about. Yeah, I believe Shaka – I believe he had two sacks on that same drive, if I'm not mistaken. Almost had a third. Yeah, uh, should have had a third, you could argue, because Penix was rolling toward the sideline. It looked like Shaka was going to bring him down. Yeah, he looked legit. Uh, so did Jason Owe. Yeah, if they can do that – throughout the course of a whole contest against Ohio state, if they can contain Justin Fields, which is certainly no easy task, then they've, they the defense is good enough to give Penn state a shot is, is my belief. Right. Um, I think Shaka Tony and Jason Obe and, you know, that whole D line, uh, Antonio Shelton, all those guys, I think they're good enough to give Ohio state some trouble. Um, if guys in the secondary don't get beat like they did, you know, <laughs> at times against Indiana, um, that's a that's a legitimate defense. Yeah, and, and I think the the big thing there is too is it's good enough to cover for those guys guys getting beat sometimes, you know, because like OA and, and Tony can get there so quickly, then if a guy's beat downfield, the quarterback doesn't have time to to get it out. Of course, Justin Fields can usually find enough time because uh, he's good enough to do that. Uh, you know, yeah. my my key matchup for this game is, and I I almost took the cop out of just writing about Sean Clifford, uh, but that would be too easy. Uh, I, I chose Sean Clifford against the pass defense, and, and it's, it really is less about the Ohio State pass defense, which is phenomenal. Uh, Sean Wade, seven banks, is like really good corners back there. Uh, it's a really talented team, as you would expect from Ohio State. But, but honestly, this is just about Sean Clifford not making mistakes. Like He's got to go out there, and he's got to play well, or he's got to play comfortably at least. You know, I, I know he said he was comfortable. Uh, James Franklin said he didn't look comfortable early in the game. I would, I would tend to agree with Franklin there uh, that the, the quarterback sort of looked uh, – he, he didn't look rattled. He just didn't look like he was sort of in his, in his space, like he felt like he had the time to get rid of the ball. 
Yeah. I don't want to say he was seeing ghosts, like Sam Darnold said, uh, <laughs> you know, and sort of ruined his career from there. Once, you, once you're seeing those ghosts, like it's tough to come back from that. Penn State fans will remember Christian Hackenberg started seeing ghosts and it was over. You know, once you start seeing guys, you start seeing pass rushers that aren't actually coming. Uh, that's when – Hackenberg actually guess he said that? No, Darnold said that. Darnold said he was seeing ghosts. Oh, yeah. I thought but, Christian Hackenberg said that. No, Hacken, Hackenberg may as well have been seeing ghosts when he was at Penn State. <laughs> Uh, with with his pocket presence, and rightfully so. He got sacked 10-plus times against Temple. Um, There's a brutal, brutal season for him. But, you know, it's it's one of those things when when you lose that comfort in the pocket and you're always expecting someone to hit you, you're never going to regain it. Like, it is so difficult for guys like that to regain it. We've seen careers ended before because of it, uh, you know, because guys can never become themselves, and once they feel pressure, they panic. Uh, Clifford's yes. got to know when there's no rush there, he can stay in the pocket. He can stay comfortable. He can stay sort of in his zone and just work through his progression. That's the other thing. Like he's got to be able to, you know, if Sean Wade is locking down Keandre Lambert Smith and seven banks uh, is, you know, lined up against Pat Fryermuth in the slot for whatever reason, like then right. you can go to Parker Washington. You can, you can go to uh, TJ Jones. If he's in the game, you can go to Cam Sullivan Brown. If he plays this, this week, you know, there's, yeah. there are guys you can get the ball to, uh, you know, you just, you have to be patient enough to do it. You can't panic at the when your mental clock goes off. You have to be able to know where you're at on the field. And when pressure does come, you can't just eyes down and try and find space. Like you've got to keep your eyes downfield. You've got to find those guys. You can't you can't just sort of try and find a rushing lane immediately. For as good of a runner he is, they still need him to throw the ball efficiently. And and quite frankly, on Saturday he just didn't do that. So I think frazzled. Yeah, certainly frazzled in the first half. Yeah, and, and this isn't the first time with Clifford that that's been the case. And I think that's the concern if you're Penn State. Uh, you know, we'll see what it looks like. I, I would think he will be better. Uh, you know, like you said, tiny, tiny sample size. It's never going to tell you much of a story. This season, though, is a tiny sample size, really. So maybe it won't tell the whole story of this 2020 Penn State football team. Who's to say? It is going to be – this Saturday, I think, is going to be fascinating because you're going to find out a lot. Like, there are a lot of questions that are just going to get answered about this Penn State team. I know I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you are, too. I'm sure it is disappointing for you that that your first whiteout, quote-unquote, is is not really a whiteout. You know, they're, uh, they're looking forward to you getting to experience that again in the future, a real one in the future. It is, it is unlike any other experience from the press box. Uh, I remember last year my, my drink was shaking in front of me. Uh, during the the uh, the fourth quarter of that game and and when it oh, first kicked off the Beaver Stadium press box shakes you know during wide oh yeah it as someone that's afraid of as someone that's afraid of heights it is not fun uh, but <laughs> but you know I powered through it and that's what matters uh, but I think that's a good place to wrap this up we covered a lot of ground with with Penn State's game against Indiana looking forward to Ohio State what this is going to mean the rest of the year uh, it's a it's a really strange spot for Penn State to be in. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to covering the game Saturday. Uh, always enjoy watching teams this talented play. Hopefully the game lives up to its stature. Uh, although I guess we could before we close it out. You know what? Let's save that. Let's save our predictions. You can find them in the Center Daily Times. Are we, are we not uh, giving them? Uh, fine. Fine. We'll give, them, we'll give them the predictions. Parth, Parth <laughs> what are you seeing for this game? What do you really think is going to happen here? I've got it's, – it's, it's hard to pick against Ohio State. You know, especially given how dominant they looked against Nebraska, given how not so dominant Penn State looked against Indiana. Uh, I've got the Buckeyes, 35, uh, Nittany Lions, 24. You know, it, Sticking it's, to it. it's funny. I That was sort of the range I was going with. 
Uh, I'll go a little broader. I'll go 38 to 24 Ohio State. Uh, I do think Penn State's defense is good enough to keep it close. I just don't know that they're going to be good enough to keep it close enough to one possession. Uh, but, you know. Fourth quarter, I think Ohio State ultimately pulls away. Yeah, I think that's what we're looking at. I think, it, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's 24-24 in the fourth quarter and then all of a sudden two scores and it looks like it looks like Ohio State dominated when that's not the case. Um, but, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to sharing the press box with you. Socially distanced, of course, wearing masks on Saturday. Yeah, well, we're uh, here uh, in Beaver Stadium, so I'm excited, excited for that. Uh, certainly, you know, my first home game covering this team. So Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. But uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out. You can find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your platform of choice. If you want to read Parth and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. If you have any comments, you can reach Parth at P-U-P-A-D-H-Y-A-Y-A at centerdaily.com or me at J-S-A-U-B-E-R at centerdaily.com. Follow us on Twitter at, uh, at P-U-P-A-D-H-Y-A-Y-A uh, underscore and at J-O-N-S-A-U-B-E-R. Thank you for tuning in and have a great day. <laughs>